0: plushcare.com slash weight loss a couple of years ago a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize the only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood by all appearances it was an open and shut case but not in Belize where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place justice will not be in this case she's gonna get away with it or will she white devil
1: and build hope. Quick note before we start the show that we, uh, like we're lucky. We're lucky to be able to keep uh, podcasting, to keep working. We're lucky to be connected to you in the way that we are. And I, I, I don't know, I think that my colleagues and I feel a sense of purpose throughout this that is, uh, is helping us deal with this, frankly. So we're in a good spot in that way. But in another way, in a more practical way, in a financial way, we're facing headwinds that are very challenging. And uh, we're looking at some real difficulties ahead. Listen. Please take care of yourself first, but if you are in a position to help us out, it has never been easier to help Canada Land than it is right now. You can just click on the link in the show notes, or you can go to CanadaLandShow.com slash join, and for five bucks a month Canadian, you can get ad-free podcasts from us. It takes moments. It's kind of neat. It just shows up in your podcast listening apparatus instantly, and we rely on that help from you. So uh, you can also help us out with an e-transfer if you send it to support at CanadaLandShow.com. Thanks very much. Nora Loretto, writer and activist, joining me from Quebec City. Hello. Hi. Nora, today we're going to talk about traveling moistly. Did our leaders willfully ignore their own advice on social distancing? And conspiracy theories. They used to just be a fun hobby. Now you have to risk dying a lonely and gruesome death if you want to spit out that Kool-Aid and stray from the sheeple herd. Good to have you here. Good to be here. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Jack Hickmott, Neil Graham, Jessica Bichetta, Rachel Klassen, John McDonald, Andrew Pregert, Mandy Mitten, and Chris Dawes. I'm a Toronto based
0: musician and meta theorist living in Georgetown, Ontario. And if you're wondering what a meta theorist is, it's someone who likes to know why things are the way they are and is prepared to look a level higher than the narrative and the taken for granted. And that's why I support Canada Land because my country needs accountable public media and we need to know what's going on under the hood and behind what we're showing.
1: Okay, so Nora, uh, before the Easter weekend, this is what our Prime Minister told us.
0: This weekend is going to be very different. You'll have to stay home. You'll have to Skype that big family dinner. And the Easter egg hunt, well... It'll have to happen around the house instead of around the neighborhood.
1: And that's what he said to Canadians standing outside of Rideau Cottage on the grounds of Rideau Hall in Ottawa before Easter weekend. So what did he do on Easter weekend? Well, I learned through uh, the Toronto Sun and through a lot of angry conservatives on the internet (laughs) that he's a big fucking hypocrite. He got in his motorcade with his full entourage on Saturday afternoon. He drove 27 kilometers crossing provincial boundaries from Ontario to Quebec to the Prime Minister's summer residence at Harrington Lake. And he uh, spent Easter weekend with Sophie and the kids. And uh, this, of course, was exposed when Sophie says, hello, world, it's me, Sophie. Here's a, a selfie from our Easter weekend, <laughs> uh, exposing, you know, telling on herself, uh, I guess, that this had happened. And his alibi, his excuse, his explanation was that he did not break the rules of public health authorities. Nora, Did he break the
2: rules? Have public health authorities been clear about individuals who have two homes? Hmm. They have been clear about cottages. And so if you consider this kind of like a cottage, he broke the rules. But this is, I think, a real failure of PR from the prime minister, I would say.
1: I mean, I don't want to move on too quickly because uh, I think that he's right that he didn't break the rules of public health officials. I think he twisted this in his explanation. Did you break the rules? I didn't break the public health official rules. It's pretty clear that both provinces have been clear. You're not supposed to cross the provincial line. And I don't think there's any question that both in spirit and in letter, you know, he broke the advice that he was telling Canadians. And I think that it's disingenuous for him to kind of just try to twist it and say, well, if you look at these regulations, I didn't break anything. So I absolutely can see why conservatives are pointing a finger at him. That message was was very quickly diffused when a counter-accusation of hypocrisy was lobbed at Andrew Scheer.
2: Yeah, which is, I think, a major difference than Justin Trudeau.
1: So as reported uh, by the CBC, Nora. And of course, when the CBC was the one to break the story about Shear supposedly breaking the rules as well, many conservative voices were quick to say, oh, here comes the CBC uh, to the rescue of of Justin Trudeau. Nevertheless, there are questions to be asked about this jet that the prime minister's office sent to go pick up Andrew Scheer to bring him to Ottawa for parliament. But he brought his wife and, you know, what is it, 18 children uh, yeah. with him I guess five kids and Elizabeth May was on the flight as well. And she was uncomfortable that the whole family was there. And like, I don't know, it's just impossible to maintain social distancing on the, on a flight, but like, why did he have to bring the wife and kids? But Elizabeth may seemed to be understanding. She said, well, you know, if he didn't bring his wife and kids, they would have had to fly commercial. Then they'd be in, in, exposed there. And you know, they, they were careful. They, they brought disinfectant wipes, the, <laughs> The shears brought smears with them. Uh, Andrew Shears, you know, in his defense, he said, uh, "Well, it was kind of mocking." He said, "Well, I, I didn't speak moistly on the flight." Gross. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what to make of all of this. Like, it seems it seems pretty clear to me that in both cases they did break the rules that we're all trying to obey right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So for me, like, I am not surprised by either's activities or behaviors I think that uh, it's easy to be very frustrated with Justin Trudeau because this entire time his shtick has been you know we're in this together we've got to follow these rules and this is the only way we're going to beat coronavirus and he's been relying on that rhetoric as a way to like avoid criticism of a lot of his government's missteps and what they haven't done or what they've not done enough of or done fast enough of or whatever on the economic plans and on on helping uh, the provinces to fight COVID-19. And so it's an easy thing to kind of point a finger at. And I was a bit surprised to see that he did that because, you know, in Quebec, like the premier of Quebec, Francois Legault and the director of public health Horatio Aruda, they make a big deal all the time about how they haven't seen their family in a month and they're sequestered basically so that they can do their daily briefing and make sure that they don't get sick. Trudeau has been treating this a lot more in a in a flashy kind of way, or as a show. Partly, I, I think it doesn't help that he's doing these um, daily briefings without anyone from Public Health Canada, so that he's just turning it into kind of like the Trudeau show. And so, to have the photo from Sophie show that he probably violated some regulations yeah, it's a super bad look. Uh, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more <laughs> bad looks like this, I mean, other than his hair, which is not obviously able to be cut uh, right now. But it's just it gives fodder to the conservatives and it's not helpful. I do think though that sheer bringing his whole family is a different situation. And that I was very surprised by only because sheer like this guy has no clue how average people exist. Trudeau obviously has no clue either. He's the son of a prime minister, but Sheer is one of these strange beasts who has been a conservative since the age of fifteen, and everything about his life has been to be the leader of the Conservative Party. And I mean he just it's like his children's education is paid for by the party, he doesn't pay for his own dry cleaning, and then all of a sudden his fucking family jumps aboard a work trip to get him to Ottawa to be able to be in the House of Commons. It's like, sorry, shears, like, yeah, take a commercial flight. I mean, who's even flying commercially these days? How unsafe is that really?
1: I hear you. I'm just having trouble getting enraged about this. I mean, Mm. I I can see it. I can see it. And I think there are people who, in observance of the rules, are seeing their businesses die. And that's a sacrifice that people are making for the greater good. There are people who are not saying goodbye to their parents as their parents die. Yeah. And they're doing that in observance of these rules. So I, I get that it is enraging to people to watch the leaders flout the rules. At the same time, I feel like it has to be recognized just how petty this is. Like... You know this this finger pointing, and now it seems like it's not just at the level of of the leaders of the of the parties, but like the media is filled with stories about people getting ticketed at, at park benches or people doing like a chin up on a gymnasium in a park and getting a, a ticket, or like I, you know I'm I'm feeling this personally, like these questions of the spirit of the rules and the letter of the rules. You know, like okay, so here in Toronto, like just to maintain well being and sanity and to have kids, you got to get them outdoors. And I, I see that down at the lakeshore, people on a nice day in the weekend are like biking and rollerblading on the boardwalk on a, in a line in one consistent, like, airstream, breathing each other's, <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> moisture.
1: Yeah. And I, and I feel like in in the spirit of true liberalism, I'm like, you know what? That doesn't look safe to me, but I don't know your circumstances. I don't know if you're able to get further away than, than there. And I just hope everyone's okay. And, and you actually might be following the letter of, of the law, but it certainly like doesn't seem safe. Meanwhile, I've been trying to just, like, break up the monotony of, of my kids, like, you know, they're at home, they're in the same, like, parking lot, basically, for outdoor time, by going on hikes, and I have the privilege of having a car where I can find, like, a nature hike that's, like, 40 minutes outside of Toronto, and that feels like that is the spirit of, like, the, the science of this, to get away from other human beings in the most isolated place possible feels like that makes sense, but of course, when we show up to those hiking trails, they're closed off, and... I'm unclear. Are we violating a guideline, a suggestion or a law by doing this? And I know that it's I'm there in order to observe the science that as I understand it. I mean, if, like some of this can feel asinine or absurd, the spirit of this is ennobling, the spirit of this that we are giving up so much liberty all like in order to save each other and help each other, mm-hmm. there's dignity in that. And yet it goes on and on. Nor like Yeah, Toronto announced that um for these thousand dollar tickets in the park, Toronto announced individuals who need to physically rest while out on a walk are permitted to use the benches to recover. However, lingering and use of benches beyond necessary resting purposes is prohibited. <laughs> right. And you know, Jonathan Goldsby here, our editor, says, Oh good Toronto police and bylaw officers get to decide who is lingering and who has a necessary resting purpose, I'm sure enforcement will be just and equitable. Yeah. And of course we know it won't be, that, that that's an extraordinary amount of power. There are some bullies uh, amongst the cops who are using this as an excuse to harass and fine the most vulnerable people in society. I just feel like we have to cut each other some slack here. Like, I, like, I don't know what we expect of each other. People are just trying to maintain their well-being and get through this. Like, unless somebody seems like they are actively and recklessly endangering you know your health uh, by endangering their own. I don't know like w- what do you think Nora?
2: You have said so much <laughs> like so many different issues are wrapped up into what you just said. So I'm going to try to take them apart because I think that I think that you're bumping up against a really important issue except you haven't quite named it. So I personally don't give a rat's ass about Scheer or about Trudeau, so I'm not enraged by this. I think it's like, whatever. But why did it get so much traction in the press? I think it's because journalists are, uh, some journalists are chasing an easy story and there's not much of an easier story than that. I think that some journalists are reluctant to really dig into this question of legality and this question of state power and what we really are and aren't allowed to do. I mean, the real problem that we have is that we have confined people to their homes and we have not given them what they need to stay in their homes. So I, like you, have kids and I live in a city. I don't have a backyard. The only place that we can go to ride bikes is like an empty parking lot, which is fine. Um, I don't have a car, so we can't leave the city to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And our streets are just as full as all of the streets that I'm hearing in the rest of Canada. Right. On Sunday, it was a beautiful day. It was Easter. So there's tons of people around and a side street that's meant to be a bicycle access was just a parade of people. Just a, a long parade of people. And on one hand, you can get mad that there's so many people out and you're one of them. Uh, on the other hand, there's nowhere else to go. And that's the fault of city planners, of municipalities that have refused to close streets, to car traffic, to allow us to take up this space. I mean, the sidewalk that I live in front of that I have to pass on every single day is not two meters wide. It's it's barely a meter wide. It's like just larger than a meter. And so anytime that I leave my house, which is... Never. I mean, I think I'm spending three days at a time in the house before going outside. Uh, I have to walk in the middle of a really busy road, and so like the journalists who are focusing on Trudeau or focusing on Sheer, they need to be writing far more and challenging far more our politicians, all levels of government, to hear what their plans are to help us stay home. And so, aside from city planning or, or town planning kind of measures why are we talking about fines instead of talking about being paid to stay home? You know, why is that the direction that we've taken or, or why are we handing such power to bylaw officers? Like who the fuck is a bylaw officer? (laughs) One, Um, two (laughs) police, like we've got idle police right now. And so it's not a huge surprise that there has also been how many people killed by police in the last week and a half in Canada, at least four there was also someone run over in Toronto uh, who the police are chasing at Shepard and Allen, and he was then arrested after they ran him over. I mean, you know, we have unchecked power in a lot of situations in society at the best of times. You know, there's problems with our internal investigation bureaus, with with police forces across this country. It's very hard to get justice when the police are, are doing things that are, are, are bad. So, of course, during a crisis, we're going to see that laid bare. And we're going to see the overreach of the security state into people's Driveways for drinking or into people's families walking in the park. Like I saw someone in Oakville was fined for being with his three kids in a park, uh, getting an $850 fine. We don't have clear guidelines. And when you don't have clear guidelines and you have people who are power tripping and you also have this like generalized anxiety in the state, you're going to see these things happen and they will happen disproportionately to people who are poor. Obviously, people who live in these spaces uh, are, are going to be the most targeted the most policed and we know that that's happening and that that d- will disproportionately be expressed in uh in racial profiling in profiling of the poor i mean montreal police set out uh, something like 700 tickets this last weekend are we going to see the racial data of how those tickets were distributed we might mm-hmm. we're not going to see it soon it's going to be probably a, you know a year from now oh look who's the most policed during this crisis um, but it's far easier to talk about andrew Shear being a uh, a spoiled brat than it is to deal with these issues.
1: That's helpful in helping me organize my thoughts. I, I don't necessarily agree with one aspect of that, which is the perennial, why are you looking at that when you should be looking at this? Obviously, it's newsworthy if Trudeau and Shearer are breaking their own rules or the rules. And I think that it does tell us something about the wider picture. But I, I agree with you in essence, because I, I, I don't know, like it's really been on my mind in, in a larger sense, like we have suddenly given up so much, and it's not just you know. At first, I'm focused on oh, I, I miss people, I want to see people, I want to touch people. But it's like freedom of movement is gone, freedom of assembly is gone, freedom to protest in physical spaces is gone. Free like the essential freedoms, freedom of trade is gone. Like this is like you know centuries, millennia of human progress where people fought and died to have rights that are kind of what makes human existence like dignified in in any way is the ability to do these things. And the only dignity that's left is that we didn't have those rights forcibly stripped from us. The only dignity is that we made a, a really compassionate choice to surrender them, to suspend them momentarily for the greater good, you know? yeah, And so that's where everybody was at like a week or two ago. But that, that's like it's a radical and sudden rewriting of the social contract, and it only can be maintained if we are voluntarily doing that. It gets polluted and perverted immediately when, no, your rights are stripped from you, and it's not a matter of voluntary participation you're not a human anymore. Like, you're, then it is herd immunity, and then you're just cattle, and you're just a mammal that's that must be separated from other mammals so that a virus doesn't, you know, jump off you and onto somebody else, and somebody will prod you with a taser if you get out of line, and and do as we say, even if it doesn't make any sense, and don't do as we do, because we're not going to follow these damn rules. And it's a fragile moment we're at, that if, if people's crankiness or their questioning you know, gets to a point where it flows over their sense of buy-in and reason, we're dealing with elemental forces. Like, this could go sideways really bad. And I think you're right. The part of that is about, like, okay, I'm willing to do my part. Make that possible for me. First of all, make sure people have money who need it. But also, don't fucking lie to me that you're following the public health guidelines, Trudeau, when you are obviously doing what none of us are allowed to do. And furthermore, and this is where I agree with you 100%, what is the plan? Tell me what the plan is, because I'm reading the big thinkers out there and they're saying, like, it's just not this is not something that we can sustain until a vaccine. We can't self-isolate for like 18 months. Right. You know, and already we're getting these like um, signals that the prime minister is talking to the provinces about what the, you know, stages of opening up society again will be. And Saskatchewan has no new cases and they're talking about that. Well, give me the scenarios. Trust me with the information you have. Tell me like this is happening. The, The governor of California said here are the circumstances under which we'll restart, you know, society again. We need to know what the plan is.
2: So here's part of the problem with what you with what you're saying. In your very rapid history of liberalism, you glossed over the periods of time though where uh, there have been quarantines and there have been plagues. I mean, our memory is so short in the 21st century that we forget that this is very a, a normal thing for humanity to go through. And it's not just our goodwill that uh, is pushing us to follow these rules, uh, however extreme they are. It's also our survival. Right? I'm staying home because I don't want to get sick. And I think that that's a lot of people's perspective on this. I don't want other people to get sick, but I very fucking much do not want to get sick myself. And so I'm primarily driven by not wanting to deal with sick children, not wanting to feel what the coronavirus apparently feels like. That's the flip side of our liberties, is that we actually are willing to give up those liberties in situations of crisis. The problem comes, I think, when we assume that there is a plan. Like you want to see the government's plans and and for them to be transparent. I'm not convinced that there really is much of a plan. Right. Like when they do start giving us glimpses of what their plans are, we hear the the premier of Quebec saying kids will be in school on May 4th. It's like that's not a fucking plan. Like that's fantasy. That's not going to happen. And so I think it's a little bit more complex than just like let the people know what you're doing we are assuming that they actually have good plans or we are assuming that they actually even have plans and I think that what's really what's really going on it's kind of two things one is that they're um, imagining maybe hopefully with the models that they have maybe that we can do x maybe we can do y but it's so hypothetical that they can't put that out because it's it's meaningless while at the same time dealing with the real pressing emergency, which is the unbelievable amount of death that's happening within long-term care. It's the same people that kind of have to manage these two ways of approaching this this crisis. But you said that, you know, at some point people just won't stand for this and, and things might blow up or something like this. And I want to know, who do you think, what kind of person do you think is the one that's going to crack or the one that's going to not be able to take it and then just start breaking these rules?
1: <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in our next segment. All right, Nora, we are going to note duly some things that need uh, due notation. <laughs> you've been doing, I think, some uh, important work. Can you tell us uh, about this spreadsheet you've been compiling?
2: Yes, I've been putting together a spreadsheet that tries to account for all of the deaths within long-term care or residents' senior residences in, in Canada. And it was incredible to me that it hadn't been done yet, which is why I decided to do it. And so in the spreadsheet, I've got uh, something like 48 or 49 uh, long-term care facilities, seniors, residences, and then in one case, a wing of a hospital in Montreal. And how many confirmed dead there have been uh, at each one of these institutions because of uh, COVID-19. Although in some cases, it's not clear that everybody was killed from COVID itself or from the overburden within the, co- the home uh, related to other people who were sick. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty incredible because I've already found, uh, I've been able to, to cross reference more than half of the total deaths in this country. And it lays bare something that I think that we have to duly note, and I think which will be the most important story of the pandemic once this is all over, which is that governments were so focused on making sure that we had ICU capacity that... They didn't think at all that maybe the majority of people who get sick from COVID would be too sick to even make it to the ICU and would die in the residence. And in a lot of cases, that residence is a private facility. It's a for-profit facility. Uh, it operates with uh, a lack of staff. Very few staff. Staffing ratios are really uh, horrible in a lot of these facilities across Canada. And it's really... Uh, laid bare for a lot of Canadians who may not have had any contact with long term care uh, before this, just how brutal the conditions are in a lot of long term care in, in Canada, which, of course, you know, if you remember the case of Elizabeth Wettlaufer, who was the serial killer in southwestern Ontario a couple of years ago, you, you'll know because the inquiry that happened after her murders basically laid all of this bare so the spreadsheet's available it's it's pinned to my twitter feed and and anybody is welcome to use that data however they want i know there's one group that's mapping um the the case is now on a on a physical map so that's kind of neat to see the data being used that way
1: Well, I think you're right that this is going to end up being one of the biggest stories of this pandemic. And I think what you're doing is a resource for all and important. Uh, We are also dedicating like we're going to have a lot more to say about long term care because this is like like everything with this pandemic. It's revealing things that were problematic and overlooked for a long time uh, that were already at the breaking point. And uh, we're going to dig deep into that. But uh, duly noted, Nora. I would like to duly note uh, that finally, finally, proof of CBC's Liberal Party bias emerged. <laughs> and this is, I'm telling you. Was it The uh, House? The, the
2: show The House? Because it's pretty much there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this has been a bugaboo of uh, like, you know, the, the idea that there is explicit, explicit bias. That CBC's airwaves are kind of like working in tandem with the Liberal Party of Canada, with the Trudeau government. Um, but how do you prove a thing like that? Like, I worked there and I never experienced anything like that. I mean, it was—it's. if anything, it was the other side. They were so worried about being called, you know, liberal friendly that they would stack panels with conservative strategists and, you know, it, it was the opposite. Mm. Then you can look at it from the point of view of like, well, yes, if you do surveys of people's politics, uh, CBC staffers do lean left. But then again, so does the politics of any university educated workplace, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so hey, this has been going on for years. How do you prove whether or not CBC is in the tank? Well, finally, the proof emerged because ultimately it would be above my pay grade when I was a host there or most people's pay grade. It would be like a cluster of people. Like it would have been like the head of news at the time, Jennifer McGuire and Peter Mansbridge and like three other people who are like, you know, have some phone to the Prime Minister's office. And those would be the only people who knew. And the only way you would find out if there was such a cabal would be if one of them, like late in retirement, decided to go whistleblower (laughs) and say, finally, the truth must be known. Well, Nora, it happened. Uh, (laughs) Neil MacDonald. Neil MacDonald. Now he's got a new Twitter account. He's not like Terry Mlewski. It's not a CBC affiliated Twitter account. He's retired. And he revealed that uh, there's a commissar who has a direct line into the ear of Rosemary Barton and uh, it's a fail safe in case he writes in case the journalist fails to recognize that something might harm the liberal party there is a person dedicated to telling cut cut go to a different story this is going to hurt Justin Trudeau and he revealed this and the conservative uh, internet on twitter went went mad with 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 glee and he was retweeted hundreds of times and people celebrated Neil McDonald for finally telling the truth dudes he was kidding <laughs> Oh, my God! It went viral- it was a contemptuous joke on my part. <laughs> he later said he was trying to be funny like his brother. You know, I worked there for thirty two years. I've never experienced the slightest political pressure. If I had, I would have screamed about it hard and long. Wow, people were so waiting for somebody to reveal this that they completely missed a rather obvious joke on the part of Neil McDonald.
2: <laughs> duly noted.
1: I have one more that uh, I want to duly note. Something that I think ties into our discussion earlier about police going a bit power mad, or maybe this could have happened uh, otherwise. But this is a story that was reported by an anchor at CP24 as uh, police chased and eventually arrested a suspect with a knife. Wow. Okay. The police chased and eventually arrested a suspect armed with a knife. Good for the police. The video tells a very different story. And actually, the written version by CP24 is much better than what we heard from the anchor on television. Uh, Witnesses said that they heard a man screaming, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm doing. I have mental health. I have mental health. Screaming it over and over again. And then video shot by witnesses show a man with a knife being cornered by two squad cars and a bunch of cops on foot. And then deliberately, willfully, like slowly enough that it wasn't out of control, but fast enough that it was like lethal force, a squad car plows into this guy and and then it looks like just ba bump ba bump rolls over him. Uh it it basically it's a snuff film. Like you're watching the cops attempt to murder this guy. I, I don't know how else to describe this. We've since learned that uh the guy sustained a serious injury, of course, and SIU uh has invoked its mandate. So you know, there are people on online saying, well, you know, what were the cops supposed to do? The guy had a knife and they tried to taser him, it didn't work. It's amazing What people will say, like, I can't imagine a universe where this was the appropriate response. And the fact that this got reported as police just chasing and eventually arresting a guy with a knife was a a disgusting, I think, just false report about this act of police violence that I feel should be duly noted.
2: Yeah. So earlier in the episode, I, I made reference to this and I, I said that it happened at Allen and Shepherd, And the reason why I made that mistake was because there was another situation up there last week as well, where a police cruiser collided with someone at Allen and Shepherd. And so I mixed the two issues up.
1: So there were two incidents.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because I because I knew it was at Front Street and then I saw Allen and Shepard. I thought, oh, I made the mistake. But no, there were two incidents. So I'm going to duly note um, all the police brutality that happens in Canada.
1: I think we got to keep our vigilance up like what's happening on the ground while everybody's at home. We don't know what we don't know, but luckily somebody did videotape this. So, let's uh let's make sure it doesn't slip under the radar. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Okay, so Nora, you asked earlier who would be the first to defy reason, defy science, uh, defy compassion for the elderly, for their neighbor, for fellow citizens, and uh, who would just say, fuck it. I mean, really, it could come from anyone right? I mean, it could come from the left. It could come from people who are very concerned about civil liberties being stripped from them. It could come from people who are uh, you know, targeted by cops because of their race. Anybody could be the first to say, end the lockdown. Science and reason be damned.
2: No, no, it's not anyone.
1: No, it wasn't anyone. <laughs> no. It was this, Putz.
0: Based on these faulty numbers and this common cold here that's going around, that you are freaking out because you've been drinking the Kool-Aid of the mainstream media. Just, just, just stop with the fear state. Stop pointing the finger at each other and start pointing the
1: finger at the real enemy, the real culprit here. We're talking about the government. I'm not going to say this asshole's name, but he went viral. It wasn't his protest. It was another idiot uh, who, who called for this take to the streets and the lockdown protest in Vancouver and surprise, surprise! Could have been anyone. It's a nine eleven truther YouTuber, conspiracy theorist, white dude with aviators and a beard, who has Faith Goldie come onto his YouTube channel, and who's sort of like uh, Dime Store Alex Jones.
2: <laughs> of course, yeah.
1: of course, of course, it was that asshole.
2: Yeah, it's not too surprising that. Um... That there are these conspiracy theories that are questioning so much about this illness. And I mean, this is always going to exist. This is, of course, the first pandemic that's hit the scale that it's hit where we have mass communications. And so, you know, we can only imagine what kind of wacky things were emerging during the influenza pandemic of 1918. We, You know, we will never know because they didn't have access to the Internet or to a blog or to a bunch of disaffected people that are willing to believe anything. I did retweet one of that guy's um, photos and I did so because there's a, a good 10 or 12 people in the picture whose faces are really clear and I really hope that they can be identified publicly and that their friends and family can do what they can to try and disabuse them of some of these theories. It's such a, as you said earlier, it's such a fragile time that we're existing in and on one hand, it's great to see that our politicians who I normally have absolutely no respect for, um, you know, not really feed uh, the worst elements of of what emerges during an, an emergency. Other than maybe Jason Kenney, that guy is, uh, I mean, as the price of oil drops into the ground, so does uh, him. It's kind of fun to watch. But otherwise, I mean, people, the leadership that we have are being like stately and reasonable, especially in opposition to Donald Trump. And I think that the kind of the, the conspiracy theory-laden administration of Donald Trump just feeds so many of these tiny groups all, all around the world. Uh, it's dangerous. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'd be curious, though, to know if these guys have any power at all or any reach at all, because I certainly haven't seen any average people sharing this to say, oh, okay, cool, uh, so 5G is the reason why we have uh, this uh, illness.
1: Yeah, this uh, took place after the whole 5G thing where people were ripping down cell towers in the UK. It's an interesting question. Like, you know, you say power or reach. They're different things. In practice, I think there were like less than 20 people at this and the lockdown protest on the streets of Vancouver. But in this age that we live in, under 20 people can get the attention of like a million people, which is not to say that people were uh, excitedly sharing this because they agree. It's a media story to me because when you create a situation where like, most of the people sharing that thought this guy was an idiot and we're just sharing it to say, look at this idiot. But that message, that simple sentence, end the lockdown, it's almost like we've just created this perfect hothouse condition for that message to, to go viral, to take off. whether And it, it's almost a secondary concern whether people are mocking it or agreeing with it because the line between those things is also very fragile. When Jerry Butts uh, tweets subtweets the guy, or Seth Rogen says you're an idiot, go inside, you know, it, it brings more oxygen to it, and it starts this little itch in people's brains of like, oh, maybe maybe there is something to this. It seems like it was a one day story. I'm glad for it to go away. I, you know, with kind of some trepidation, to even mention it because I think that message should go away, but I think that when, you know, for things we were discussing earlier, the degradation of this moment of trust between us takes root, we're going to see more and more of these little things pop up, you know, if we don't kind of get on on track. One thing I want to note about it, though, is I like that you actually have to put skin in the game to be a conspiracy theory idiot now, because before... <laughs> You could just sit in your basement and ask for Barack Obama's birth certificate or talk about whether jet fuel could burn this or that. There's really no cost to you, except that you were, you know, considered a fool by, you know, any reasonable person. But now, if you want to actually take the position that this whole thing is a hoax from big government, you have to go and risk death. And that's how it should be. <laughs> I, I you know, good. And that's maybe why. That thing gets a lot more shares online than it does physical participants on the streets of Vancouver.
2: Yeah. And it it might be worth noting, too, that uh, there was a recent uh, international Nazi ring that was just kind of identified. A lot of the activists were online. And I'm not sure if you saw this, but their leader is a 13 year old from Estonia. (laughs) And the members were all shocked to see that he wasn't, you know, an adult. (laughs) The the problem, though, I think that, and this is how we need to see these kinds of fringe uh, responses to the state that we live in, is end the lockdown is not uh, an unreasonable question for people to ask. In fact, many high profile people are talking about ending the lockdown, including premiers. Right there's premiers saying we're going to end the lockdown, and so the tension between when do we end this lockdown. How does it end, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, and why is it still operating? What is the point of us all being stuck in our homes? These are actually really important points of tension. And this is where, where journalists have to think really hard about how their reporting is either making it clear why the lockdown exists or, or helping explain to Canadians how that lockdown will slowly be lifted. And then, of course, this is where politicians do need to let us know what they're thinking so that we can either say, yes, this is a good plan or no, this is a horrible plan. We need to change that plan because um, there is an obsession with kind of predicting the future. And this has been one of my pet peeves this entire thing is is the number of questions that politicians are getting from some journalists, like, when is this going to end? When will things be back to normal? As if fucking anybody knows. <laughs> like, it's like, that is the worst question right now. And so recognizing that, the far right is going to capture some element of a popular notion and try to do what they can with it to try and turn people into far right zombies as well. Um, you know, to not pay attention to what they're doing, but to, to listen to those threads of doubt and say, OK, what is driving people's frustration with being locked down? Is it economic? Is it is it anxious anxiety? Is it um, is it just that the schools are closed? These kinds of questions. Um, keeping our own eye on the prize in this situation, I think, is the most important.
1: I think so, and and I just think like like you say, like uh, actually explaining the answers to these questions, or where answers don't exist, explaining that, yeah. as we mentioned earlier, like that's how you maintain trust. And you know, we're doing one of the only rights that's actually left is freedom of expression, which we're exercising right now. And I think that you know, this CBC is reporting now: federal government open to new law to fight pandemic misinformation. And so the Privy Council President, uh, Dominic LeBlanc, he wants to start a law to crack down on assholes like this and the uh, and the lockdown guy in his protest. And, and NDP's Charlie Angus is on board, wants the RCMP. To, like, we don't need that. We don't need that. We can deal with this shit in public discourse. It will only increased distrust of authority. It will only erode the social contract that everybody is participating in in good faith to start cracking down on, you know, government deciding what is the misinformation and what is not. We're not there yet. And this is sort of like, I'll fight for this is the last it's the last one, Nora, that we can do. We can we can still talk about it. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, to imagine that the government even has the resources to do such a thing right now is pretty ridiculous. Like a lot of people I uh, pointed out that any group of, what, 10 or 20 gathering in Vancouver should have been fined, like at the very least, or ticketed. And it wasn't clear that they were. And so, you know, we could start there, maybe. <laughs> right? Like the government is not going to be the arbiter of what is real and what isn't real because so much of what they want to be real isn't real. <laughs> so...
1: <laughs> that is your Canada Land shortcuts as mentioned it's never been easier to support us please do just click the link in your show notes or go to canadalandshow.com join you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com i read everything that you send us we're on twitter at canadaland we are on instagram at Canada Land Show. nora where can people find you?
2: You can find me uh, on Twitter at uh, nolore, O L O R E, or at uh, sandyandnora.com.
1: Our website is canadalandshow.com. There is a new episode of Commons this week for their run on uh, the topic of radicals, and it is all about the AIDS pandemic, a pandemic where the fight was against a virus, but also against a system that did not care whether certain people lived or died. This is a fantastic episode and a timely one. Check out this week's Commons. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago,
0: a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood.